the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 o'clock on this great station, AM 630 The Word, we're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or life questions or anything else that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's our main number, 340-9585. If you're outside the local area here in San Antonio, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, I remind you every day, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, All you have to do is touch one button. It'll say call now at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for the main number, 340-9585. Now, Tuesday, nothing going on, so we get right to questions. Let me let me say this, though, uh, just sort of a scheduling heads up. Uh, we're going to be in um, the Dallas area on Thursday and Friday. We're going to be doing the show live. Paula will be with me live, uh, and we'll be doing the show from the, uh, the pastor's conference that we're going to. Uh, on Friday as well. So we'll be our regular time, and uh, I don't have um, access to all my stuff up there. So uh, if you've got some questions, I'd love to have them, especially on uh, Thursday for the Date Day Show or Friday. Okay, let's get to some questions. My first one is a question that was sent in by our friend Dorothy. Um, she said, Good morning, Pastor On and programming staff. <laughs> I have a programming staff. I didn't know that. Uh, what happened? I can't ever find y'all at 5 a.m. anymore, and I'm uh, local to your listening area. Can you help? Uh, sincere best wishes, Dorothy. Um, Dot, we love you, and, and it's always great to hear from you. Um, there was a reason the KSLR made a shift. We're on at 6 o'clock in the evening instead of 5 o'clock in the morning, but it's only for a very short time, and I imagine that probably after this week uh, we'll be going back on at 5 o'clock in the morning now, um, but uh, we'll be back on, and as soon as I know the exact date, Dorothy, uh, we will tell you what that is. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm blessed because uh, we're getting a lot of questions and phone calls about where'd the program go, where'd the program go, and it's always nice to know Uh, When you're paying money to be on the air and teach the Bible, it's always nice to know that there are people listening. Uh, I had somebody come up, and this is a pretty regular occurrence. I had somebody come up at church just this week and said, you know, I wake up with you every morning. And uh, um, at at first, a long time ago, we thought the 5 o'clock and the 5.30 spots were maybe a little bit early for people. Um, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful blessing because uh, of the consistency. We've been on the air uh, for um, uh, 10 years on one of the stations. We've been uh, on the air longer than that at KSLR. 
and there's always an um, 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 people that are listening, people getting up, getting ready for work. So uh, thank you very, very much for tuning in. Here is a question from Iris. Uh, Pastor on, do we know personal things about Jesus, like how tall he was or what he looked like? I ask because my coworker says he was black. Um, Iris, you probably, your coworker is almost certainly um, a follower of the black Hebrew or the black Israelite movement. Uh, and those are heretical cult-like groups. And, and um, th- there's, there's no reason to spend even a moment uh, thinking about this. Uh, the one thing I know uh, about Jesus is there was nothing about him physically that would have attracted us to him. That we, we know that from the prophecies of Isaiah. He was just a Mr. Average, a Mr. Ordinary-looking guy. You know, I tease with Paul all the time, saying, you know, I'm very average. And and it, it, that's not a bad thing. Jesus came for everybody. Uh, we can say this. He was probably, if he was average, he was probably about five foot eight. That would be the average height of a Jewish male uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, his features would have been very Semitic. He is very Jewish. Um, his skin would have been probably darker than than uh, certainly darker than the pictures that we have of Jesus in this country. Um, but he would have been just ordinary. He wasn't the best-looking guy. Uh, he wasn't the worst-looking guy. He was just absolutely average. And I love that for a couple of reasons. One, um, it dispels any notion that we have to be special. Jesus wasn't special physically. It's important you understand that. Don't get mad at me. Jesus was just an ordinary-looking guy. Um the other reason I like it, if you travel around the world and you'll see pictures of Jesus in our culture, you know, the pictures are all Jesus. He's got sort of greenish blue eyes. He's got uh, wavy, sandy blonde or, or, or dirty blonde hair. Uh, his skin in the United States is almost always white, or at least it has been uh, until the last few years. Uh, and the reason is because we make Jesus in pictures to look like us. If you were in Asia, he would he would look Asian. If you were in Africa, he would look African. And I think that's by design. I think that's why we don't have any pictures of him. Um, he was just an ordinary human who happened to be extraordinary. And I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, a human who happened also to be God. So he definitely, Iris, wasn't black. Uh, the the uh, black Hebrew movement or the black Israelite movement uh, is seriously, seriously heretical. So uh, don't engage in arguments uh, with him. Here's a question from Kevin. How do you respond to the teaching that Jesus was rich and that his seamless garment was proof because he wore clothes common people could not afford? Kevin, um, the, the teaching that Jesus was rich is um, uh, prosperity nonsense. I've heard all of the stories. The seamless garment was designer clothing. Jesus wore designer clothing. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus, we're told, had no place to lay his head. That was part of the cost of following Jesus. You, you really want to follow me? You're going to go home and go to a bed tonight. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus uh, his ministry with the Twelve was supported by women, some well-to-do women, but, but supported by women. Luke chapter 8, I think it is, gives their names. So Jesus wasn't rich at all. Uh, he doesn't want you to be rich, Kevin. Um, you're in a prosperity church or listening to prosperity teachers, and um, the heresy there is... is um, off the charts, so um, don't respond. Just just let somebody know. You know that's kind of a silly concept. Um, Jesus wasn't rich, and frankly, he doesn't care if you are or not. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'd love to have your live calls. Here's an anonymous question that says, uh, "Don't you think Jesus could have done a lot more good for the world if he would have lived instead of dying?" Uh, anonymous, no, n- not even close. Now, here's what I want you to think about, your perspective when I get asked this question. 
when I get asked this question, it's always coming from respect. Yeah, but he could have done so much good. He could have given the world great things. He didn't come here to live. Anonymous, he came here to die. The moment Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem, he began to die. And every minute of every day was simply his journey, his march to that moment where he gave up his spirit and died for the sins of the world. Let me tell you, Anonymous, what would have happened if Jesus didn't die. And I'm going to make this real personal. I want you to make it personal as well. Um, If Jesus didn't die and if he didn't raise from the dead, um, I would go to hell forever. Um, There would be no heaven. In fact, we would have no God because all the stories about Jesus then would have been a lie. Um, Jesus came to save the world from itself. And we have a tendency to think that, that Jesus' teachings or, or Jesus' good life would have set an example. Uh, Jesus influenced, in his day and age, a really small number of people. Now, they all loved him because of the miracles that he did. But his influence was minimal. Jesus never left a, 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 a very small area geographically. At the end of his ministry, there was 120 people who were still followers, believers. After he died, 3,000 were saved on the first day. A couple of days later, another 5,000 were saved. Now, there are billions of Christians, and all because Jesus died. And I think the perspective that we have when we start thinking about so much more good could have been done if he only lived, it's because... Excuse me. It's because our perspective is earthly. We have to remember Jesus had a mission. He completed that mission. And had he not completed this mission, the world would have been lost. Jesus triumphed over death. Jesus washed away our sins by dying and not staying dead. Jesus changed the world immeasurably for time and eternity. None of that would have happened had Jesus stayed alive and maybe died a natural death or maybe didn't die because he was God and just ascended into heaven. He had to die anonymous. And there's nothing more that he could have done for you and for me than that. If you're not a believer, Anonymous, my prayer is that you'll look into that empty tomb and come to grips with how much He loves you and how much He proved it. Here's another Anonymous question. Uh, If a child is born out of wedlock, is the child born under a curse? No, 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 a thousand times no. Children sometimes are innocent victims of our sin. And certainly they're born into a sin-cursed world. But every child is a precious gift from God. We just had twin babies here at the church, not just, but a little while ago we had twin babies that were born. Um, Result of a sin, the mistake that a young woman in our church made. And I get to look into the eyes of those two babies every week. And I get to, I've got nicknames for them already. And I get to see their precious faces. I get to whisper in their ears. I get to pray with them and pray for them. And they are the objects of God's love. In fact, three weeks from last Sunday, uh, no, um, yeah, Two weeks, seven, yeah, two weeks from this coming Sunday, I guess easier to say. Uh, I'm going to be dedicating those two uh, at our second service on Easter Sunday. Uh, no, they're not born under a curse. God takes even the messes that we make in our life and turns them into beauty. Beauty from ashes. And um, we've seen it over and over and over. Never, ever think that a child is a curse. A child is a gift from God. Now, I don't want anybody to 
think, okay, well, then I can go have sex and get pregnant if I'm not married. No, you're still not supposed to do that. But when it happens, it's impossible for us to consider that God isn't absolutely crazy in love with those babies. And we see it here all the time. So I hope that helps calm your nerves a little bit. Children are a gift from the Lord. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Hey, since I just spoke about Easter, let me kind of give you a rundown. Um, our Easter services are going to be on um, Easter Sunday, April twenty first. Um, not here at the church. We we don't have a big enough place for the crowds that we get on Easter Sunday. We're going to be meeting again at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. We'll have two services at eight thirty and ten thirty. Um, and it's always a great time. We we would love for you to come. If you come from the radio audience, be sure you work your way up to the front and introduce yourself to me and to Paula. Um, we would love to see their invite. Unsaved friends, people always get people always get saved here at Calvary Chapel on Easter Sunday. I love it. It's they they know there's going to be an altar call and they know that people are going to have that opportunity and and they invite neighbors and friends and family members. And even unbelievers know that they ought to be in church on Easter, and they'll come. And because it's not a church, it's a a, a secular community center type of thing. It's a very nice auditorium, but, um, uh, you know, people feel a little less threatened, a little less confined. And we find that people go, and boy, there's times when God just grabs a hold of them. So invite people. Uh, It's the 21st, Sunday, Easter Sunday. Uh, two services, 8.30 and 10.30. Plenty of, of church for your children. Um, not to worry about They have, have an absolute blast on Easter Sunday. And they're going to learn about the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. Here's a question sent in by Billy. Billy says, can restoration of an adulterous pastor occur? Um, Billy, I suppose, now I'm, I'm of the mindset that there are some things that a pastor can do that cross a line that disqualify him from ever being a pastor again. And I think cheating on a wife, uh, I think having an affair with uh, somebody in the church uh, is one of those things. So from my perspective, and I want to be very candid, there's lots of people that disagree with me, but... But from my perspective, that is betraying a trust that crosses a line. And and I don't believe that an adulterous pastor can uh, ever again go into the pulpit. Now, uh, I think there's still great value, and obviously God will use them, so um, he can be restored. But the office, I don't think he's qualified any longer for the office. The Bible says a pastor needs to be above reproach. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody likes him, but but that there's no open sin in their heart. Uh, it doesn't mean that God cannot forgive them, and it certainly doesn't mean that God can't use them. Um, I've seen uh, pastors who have been guilty of really, really horrible things, and, and over long periods of time, I've seen him even be able to use their teaching gift. Um, there's a humbling process, of course. They're, 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 I, I think personally that they need to be open and willing to talk about it um, when people ask. But but yeah, I think that the, the, the man can be restored, but I don't believe that he can be restored to the role of a pastor. Now, having said that, I told you there's a lot of people that disagree with me. I think a lot of it is our Western culture. Um, I, I just think we we speak so much about grace. Nobody's perfect, you know. Let him without sin cast the first stone. I think we miss the the, the value of Jesus's teachings in those kind of passages. Um, but um, if a man has committed this sin, uh, James said, "Seek not many of you to be teachers, for there's a stricter judgment that we stand under." And I think that's one of those things. I, I really think that's one of those things. Uh, let me take this one step further, Billy. I personally think that we're far too easy on pastors who fall into other types of sin as well. 
especially if that person's a good communicator. Now, if I uh, were to have to step down from being a pastor because I sinned, I'd want people to love me and encourage me to be restored and all those things. But but I, I just think there's times when a pastor needs to get away from from sin, from worrying about other people, and focus on his own relationship with the Lord. Uh, I've seen pastors who who drank too much, and I've seen pastors who were were plagued by pornography. I've seen pastors who had uh, tempers, and uh, somebody like that, Billy, is simply not um, a man with the heart of Jesus. And I think at times we walk away from things, let God deal with the issues in our heart, and then I think we can get back. So I, that's that's my perspective, Billy, and I feel very strongly about that. Every one of my pastors on staff here knows that uh, if they commit the sin of adultery, uh, if I find them involved with another woman who's not their wife, um, then then they're going to step down until... Uh, if, if it's adultery, they're they're not going to be a pastor again. But um, we want them to be genuine. We don't want them to be talking heads who deliver a good message but can't live it. And I'm really committed here at Calvary Chapel, and so too are my pastors. God has blessed me with the greatest group of men imaginable. And we are committed to walking through this world the way we teach others to do it. doesn't mean we're perfect. I'm not implying that at all. But what it means is that we really want to honor the Lord. So, Billy, I hope that is enough for you. Rita, another question. Rita says, uh, Pastor Ron, can women be worship leaders in your church? Uh, yes. Um, we have a bunch of women who lead worship. Now, in our church, we have a a worship pastor, and by definition, that's a man, a male. Um, so all of the women who are involved in worship, Paula is one of them, by the way. She sings on the worship team a couple of Sundays a week or a month. Uh, but, but, but they are all under the authority of the worship pastor who is under my authority. So I'm really the head, leash, the, the head worship leader. I can't sing and I can't play for sure. But I'm essentially the head worship leader here in the church, uh, and my worship pastor is going to do um, uh, lead the worship here uh, the way that we have already agreed that it's going to do. And again, I've been blessed abundantly um, with people. We have a an all female worship team. Um, uh, the, the leader of that team is is the worship pastor's wife. Uh, she's our lead vocalist on our on our Sunday team. Um, but we, we, uh, we have a lot of women who are involved in worship and by definition they are leading. So I, I don't see why a woman couldn't be the head worship leader, not a pastor, but the head worship leader in a church. And I know churches that have really, truly gifted women who are leading uh, the worship in their church. They, they're actually in charge of the ministry, and I, I, I don't find any problem with that at all, Rita. So I hope that helps, and I hope if you can sing and if you can play music, then that's what God's put in your heart to do, then that's what you ought to do. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. We're inside two minutes um, before the break. Um, so um, let me see if I can get a really quick question. Here's a question from Andrew. He says, we are relocating to a new town. Should we look for a small church or a large church to attend? Uh, Andrew, it's a matter of taste. Um, large churches are easy to disappear in, and, and if that's your motive for going to a large church, then probably you ought to go to a small church. Uh, sometimes small churches don't require a lot from people. Uh, and and people want bigger ministry opportunities, then I'd, I'd suggest you go to large church. But really, it's it's more about comfort for you. Are you comfortable in crowds? Um, uh, I think that the the prerequisite for looking for a church ought to be a solid doctrine, solid Bible teaching, not not preaching or topical teaching, but solid um, Bible exposition. Um, but if you're going to a new town and you want to meet people, then you're going to be able to meet 
larger numbers of people in a large church. So it's simply a matter of personal preference. Just be sure that the word's being taught. Be sure I taught correctly. Be sure that um, you have an opportunity to serve. You can use the gifts that God has given you to serve the people. And when you find a church, commit to it, Andrew. When you find a church, commit to it. Don't try church shopping. It's such a fleshy term. Well, we're shopping for a church. It just means I'm looking for a church that meets my needs. Instead of saying, I'm going to go to a church where I can meet the needs of others. So, Andrew, that's my answer. We have 30 minutes left in the program. We would love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Word of Santa for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program uh john just gave you the phone numbers we would love your live calls and questions here is a question from Les: are national border walls biblical what a question. Is that ever a current event topic for those of us who live in this country right now? Let's, let me tell you this. Biblically, walls always surrounded ancient cities. Without walls, the cities were absolutely defenseless against their enemies. Um, that's why there was such emphasis. You remember after the Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah was sent back to sort of lead the, the the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been so devastated by Babylon, the walls completely torn apart. Uh, and and he, he knew they were defenseless, and God put this huge burden on his heart to go back and um, rebuild the walls. The people needed to be safe and secure. Um, so yes, national border walls are biblical, but what they represent are so much more important. They represent security. We're safe from invasion. Now, in Nehemiah's day, you remember that he went on horseback by himself sort of one night after getting to, to, to back to Jerusalem. He just wanted to see what kind of condition the walls were and how bad was it really. And there were times he had to get off the horse to look. And I, I always imagine that in that, that moment, it was like, what did I get myself into? This is far worse than I ever thought. But you see, that situation gave God a chance to do something absolutely miraculous. And that's what he did. And once the walls were up, then Israel was again sort of restored. The, the remnant of about 50,000 people that returned from Babylon uh, were free to worship. They were free to rebuild. And you can read about those events in Ezra and Nehemiah, two wonderful, wonderful chapters. Um, I'm sure you're talking in a more current time frame. And uh, all I'm going to do is is make you think about it less. We live in a world now that cannot decide, or a large part of it has already decided, that um, nationalism and protecting the national interests are... Are um, are evil. Um, I don't agree. I think either we we have laws, we have borders, or we don't. I think personally, it's time for this country, the people of this country, not um, the far left or the right, um, to argue about it. But for the people of this country to decide once and for all, what do we want? Do we want to be safe and secure? Do we want? immigration laws? Do we want secure borders? Or do we not want them? And once a decision is made, then I think we have to, as a nation, be committed to maintaining the rule of law. 
These are decisions as Christians that we don't have to make, but we have to support those who do. So I'm just, I just wish our nation would decide once and for all who we are. Are we the United States of America? If there are no borders, there are no United States. If people can come and go as they please. By the way, I think we're probably the only country that is being pushed right now into having no borders at all. Um, We either have laws and borders or we don't. If we have them, we need to secure them. Um, There's a lot of talk about our immigration system being broken. Well, it's so broken now, Les, that if it doesn't get fixed soon, it's not ever going to get fixed. And I think this is a national decision that needs to be made. I think there needs to be reasonable discourse. I think Christians should sort of participate in the decision-making process via the vote. But at the same time... um, we also need to welcome our neighbors. I'm teaching uh, tomorrow night, of course, in, in uh, the Prophecy of Isaiah. And there's actually a, a portion, I don't know exactly how far I'm going to get tomorrow, but um, in chapters 15, 16, and 17, uh, where God is judging people, one of the things that he is critical of is that that uh, people were unkind to strangers in a world where People were fleeing for their lives. God expected us to open our hearts and our resources to help. So these are really hard issues, and I think they're a matter of conscience and prayer and really, really finding the heart of Jesus on this. So, Les, I hope that helps a little bit. Janie says... um, Why does it make a difference if the bread and wine really turn into Jesus' body and blood or if communion is simply symbolic? Um, Janie, this is an important question, actually. um, um, It makes a huge difference. Um, If we take a literal reading of of the the body and blood of Jesus, the the elements becoming his presence, uh, then we're missing the whole point of of both Jesus and Paul's teaching. This is an act of remembrance. This is sort of a memorial. Remember my death until I come. I think it also makes a difference because if we really believe that Jesus is being crucified all over again, and that's what the, the literal body and blood, the, the, the Catholic view and the Lutheran view really is. It's Jesus is crucified over and over and over and with, without blood, but is crucified over and over and over every time you participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, but our Bibles say, our New Testament says in Hebrews that Christ is once for all delivered for the saints. Once for all. And if we're crucifying them again and again and again in observance of communion, then we're denying what is clearly taught in Scripture. I think we have to be real careful in examining the Word. Jesus, when He was with His disciples, those who would become apostles in the upper room. He broke the bread. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. But you see, he was still in his body. So what he was doing, Janie was giving them previews of coming attractions. This is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to pay the price for your sins. It's a Jewish audience. They would have understood Isaiah chapter 53. The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. Nothing magic happens to the bread or to the wine or the grape juice. We're to do this remembering the gift 
The truth is we don't need his presence in the elements because we have his presence living in us. And it makes a big difference, Janie. It makes a big difference. I, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, but, but to crucify Jesus over and over again is heretical doctrine. And that's what the Eucharist in the Catholic Church, and that's what the Lord's Supper in the Lutheran Church, or in the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church, is really all about. We have to decide, do we believe the Bible or do we take these church traditions? And by the way, Janie, this is something that's been argued about for a very, very long time. Phones are quiet. I'd love to have your calls or questions. Here's a question from Lucille. Ooh, this is a loaded question, Lucille. Uh, Pastor Ron, what should churches do with the money they collect from parishioners? Should it be given to help the poor? That's what I believe. Well, Lucille, certainly some of it should be. Now, here's the thing that we've got to understand. Um, as a church, because we serve Christ, um, we sometimes forget that, that there's a business aspect to church as well. Uh, we pay rent or we pay mortgages. Uh, those of us who have employees, we pay employees. It costs money to operate as a church. Now, we don't do things because of money, but we have to be realistic and understand that it costs money. Um, and and part of what we use the money for, not I'm not going to speak about my church right now, our church. I'll do that in a moment. But uh, I don't know, Lucille, a church that doesn't help the poor, especially those in their own body who need help. Uh, we all have a benevolence fund, and we get people that understand that, and we get calls from people just going through the phone book, calling church after church after church, trying to see how much money you can get. So sometimes we, we can be taken advantage of, but that's okay. Um, but but I just don't know a church that doesn't provide help for those in need. Um, we do it, all the churches I know that do it. Um, so uh, certainly that's part of what we should do. But the primary focus, Lucille, of using your money is remembering that the money isn't yours, it belongs to God. And since he's the head of the church, and since all the money that comes in belongs to him, then it's our responsibility to do with that money what God tells us to do. And the beauty of God is that he has churches doing different things. I'll talk about Calvary Chapel of San Antonio now, Lucille. We've been called to a very, very unique ministry. Every ministry that we do here, we never ask for money. Everything is free. We have a free school, free doctor's office, a family practice doctor's office with a pediatrician and a nutritionist and um, a staff over there that gets paid. Uh, but it, but it's free. We we never accept insurance. We never do anything. It's just that you, you'll never hear on one of our radio programs here at Calvert Chapel uh, a, a solicitation for money at the beginning, the middle, or the end of the program. We we just don't do it. Uh, I'd rather take the time if I get twenty seven minutes out of the half hour on a teaching program. I want to be twenty seven minutes of God's word. So. God's called us to a unique ministry. We've never asked for money. Uh, we don't even pass an offering plate. Uh, and yet everything that we do is free. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other churches that God has asked to do the same thing and they just don't listen. But some of the churches, really faithful churches, you know, they're paying rent or they're paying a mortgage. They're paying staff. Got to pay utilities. And so some of the money has to go to that as well. The Lord has made it really clear for us, and I can only speak for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, we're never to borrow money. We're not to, to take out a mortgage to buy a place. If we ever end up with a big, beautiful church building, it will be because God provided the money to buy it and pay for it. If we understand that, then I think the Lord is pleased. So uh, we do help the poor. We do a bunch of stuff. It's just now a matter of, of uh, 
way to do it. Let's go to Bulverde and talk with Greg. Greg, thanks for calling back. I know we lost you on the line, but you're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Good to, I'm glad you can call here. Uh, I got a couple questions. Uh, first, a comment. I miss hearing you in the morning. I used to get ready for work, and on the way to work, I'm listening to you in the morning. So I know that's, uh, that's changed. So maybe someday you can get back on the radio in the morning. Um, okay. First, go ahead. First of all, uh, is there any way that Paula can come on and spend more more than one day a week with you? It's really neat to see and hear how you guys interact with each other. That's first question. Okay. Second question. What's is, the next question? Uh, I was raised Catholic, and I heard Jesus talking about the Catholic Church. And I guess is that can someone who is Catholic be saved if it seems like they're putting in more trust in purgatory than they are in Christ and if they are professing Christ and I, I go back to that scripture where it says you know you many will come to me that day saying Lord Lord have you not done many wonderful yeah. works and done this that and making fat and basically I never knew you so yeah. can you, what's, what's your view on that can you shed some light on that yeah, I can do that, Greg, and I'm going to take that one first, and then I'll go back to the question about Paula while Paula's probably at home sweating. Um, the answer to the second question is no, somebody cannot be saved. Um, trusting in purgatory, trusting in a second chance, um, because it's clear they don't know Jesus, they haven't been born again. And uh, the only way we can be saved, anybody, is to have a, a new birth experience. That new birth experience is meeting Jesus. It's, it's understanding that we need to be rescued, recognizing that Jesus is the rescuer. And by coming to him, we come to him on his terms, surrendering our lives to him. That's what it means to be born again. And uh, one of the primary issues in the Catholic Church is that they simply do not teach uh, that you need to be born again. They actually believe that infant baptism deals with the issue of original sin. So they would equate the the, the rebirth in Christ with the, the infant baptism, which makes no sense at all. In fact, contradicts what the Bible says, uh, because we've got to make a decision of our own free will. God doesn't force us. And by baptizing a baby, that's forcing him to go through some ritual that, that he or she uh, will, will never be able to consent to. Uh, so the 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 and I realize we get a lot of people in our families and friends that that carry this Catholic baggage, but it is simply not possible for somebody to to go to their death hoping, trusting in purgatory for a second chance and claim to be saved. So for 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 that one, it's an easy question. Um, uh, Greg, the question about uh, Paul is a little harder. Um, you know, I, I can tell you, Paula, I think she does such a great job on the program. Uh, she's very, very busy. Um, um, and and I, I personally think Paula would tell you she doesn't feel gifted um, to do this um, on, a, on an everyday basis. In fact, um, uh, you should have seen the look on her face when I first told her that we're going to do the Thursday program and I'm going to have you on the radio. Um, and she looked like she going to punch me or something for a minute. But but um, uh, I, our schedules just don't work that she could do it more often than that. And uh, if she wants to, Paula knows that she can come in any time and, and grab the microphone. But I think she's pretty content to be doing it uh, on um, on Thursdays with me. And uh, that's probably what's going to stay for a while. Uh, if she's interested, who knows? Maybe the Lord will use your call to knock on the door of her heart. Who knows? Uh, let me also say one other thing about the, the early morning program. I mentioned that at the top of the program today. Uh, we will be going back on at 5 o'clock on KSLR. Uh, very soon, um, there was a, a reason that we needed to make that change, or the station needed to make that change. Uh, but But that change is going to be done... Uh, back the way things were on the, the spot that we've had for many, many years at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I did tell uh, the, another listener who wrote in, Greg, that I have a program at 5.30 uh, every morning on KDRY, which is 1100 on your AM dial, um, a teaching program there as well. So uh, if you missed the 5, maybe you can catch the 5.30. Uh, both programs are on the, the 5 o'clock in the morning program is on at 6 now on uh, KSLR, 
uh, and uh, on in the evening on the other station as well. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate the call. Let's go to San Antonio and then talk with Gwen on line two. Gwen, thanks for being patient and holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have Hi, a Gwen. question. Hi, can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Okay. I'd like to know if you think that Adam and Eve went to heaven or to hell. And um, I'm driving, so I'll hang up and listen on the radio. Okay. Thanks, Gwen. Appreciate it very, very much. Uh, they, they don't need an opinion here. Um, they are definitely in heaven. Um, you, you remember when uh, they were hiding from God and, and they were embarrassed by their nakedness. Um, that's recognizing their sin, recognizing that they weren't uh, worthy to be in the presence of God. Uh, you also remember that they tried to cover their nakedness with a fig leaf and God said, that's not going to do it. The next time we see them, then they're wearing the skins of animals. So a sacrifice was made for their sins without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sins. So when unquestionably Adam and Eve are are going to be in heaven and now for thousands and thousands of years, they've had to deal with the question, what were you thinking when they get to heaven? I always imagine... Uh, Adam, when the question comes to him, somebody comes to heaven saying, oh, I haven't heard that one before. Uh, but Gwen, they will be, they are, Adam is our federal head. Um, there was a, he was the first Adam, the second Adam was sent uh, to, to save us. Uh, he represents all men in delivering us from sin. Of course, that's Jesus. Uh, but without any question at all, Adam and Eve will be in heaven, their sins forgiven, covered by the blood. Thank you for asking. Great question. 340-9585. I think we're now inside five minutes for the program. So um, here is a question from Eddie. He says, will the generation that saw Israel reborn as a nation see the second coming of Jesus? Uh, Eddie, if, if that's what Jesus meant when he said, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen, um, then we're running out of time. That was 1948, and that was a lot of years ago. So that generation is fading away. So if that were the case, we were sort of running uh, out of time. That's not what Jesus meant. When he said, I tell you the truth, this generation, he's talking about the generation that will be alive when those signs occur. Talked about the moon in the sky turning to blood. Talks about the, the horror of the Great Tribulation. When you see those things, that generation that sees them will not perish before they see those things coming. So um, um, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with Israel returning to their homeland in 1948. Uh, those are signs, but not uh, the sign of the end. Um, those are just beginning of birth pangs, but but not in the sense that um, that is so often misunderstood um, by those of us who are pre-trib and pre-mill in our eschatology. So um, I think, Eddie, you and I are going to see the return of Jesus. Now, I know people have been saying that for 2,000 years. The pre-trib rapture of the church doctrine began in the first century church with the writings of the Apostle Paul, and with Jesus sort of giving hints about it. But um, um, we'll see Jesus at just the right time. I just pray that it's soon, Eddie. That's what I've been hoping for all along. Let's go to Antoinette calling on line two from San Antonio. Antoinette, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Papa Ron, can you hear me? I can hear you great. Okay, great. So I um, I had a friend like mention this um on Facebook. I know you don't like Facebook, but I just thought I'd ask. The question was, if um, Enoch was mentioned in the Old Testament, and we talk about him biblically, then why don't we um, use his books, like use the book of Enoch, or why don't we count that as important as the rest of the Bible? And I hang up and listen to you online. Love you. Thank you. Bye. Love you too, Antoinette. Thank you very, very much. Give those beautiful kids a kiss for me. Um, Enoch wasn't alive when the book of Enoch was written. In other words, he didn't write it. Um, uh, the fact that Enoch is a biblical character. You know, Thomas was a biblical character. There's a gospel according to Thomas. Mary Magdalene was a beautiful 
New Testament character. There's a gospel according to Mary Magdalene. The difference, Antoinette, between what we call Bible and what isn't Bible is simply, did God write it? And the book of Enoch, while it's interesting historically, uh, contains errors and consistencies with the rest of Scripture, automatically disqualifying it from Scripture or from being called Scripture. The same thing is true with the Gospel of Barnabas and Thomas and Mary Magdalene and and uh, and others who lived um, uh, in the time of Jesus. They, they wrote, and it was well-meaning. Um, th- their heart was in the right place. Uh, but uh, at the same time, um, it wasn't God who was writing the book. The, the breath of God, the Spirit of God pushing the pins of men. One of the great things about our Bible is we know it was written by the Lord. Now, I'll give you one other example. You know, we know that there are three letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We only have two. Well, there was a letter written before 1 Corinthians. Um, the, the, the issue was Paul wrote it instead of God. It wasn't part of the, the, the God-inspired, God-breathed word. So that's why, uh, Antoinette, we don't look at other outside sources. Historically, they have great value and interest, but they they simply don't have the same authority. Hey, thanks for your calls in the second half of the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great night. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.